0: My name is Erin Macri and I am a member of the BJSM editorial team. It is my pleasure today to introduce to you two researchers to talk about the latest evidence in the management of telephemoral pain. So with me today we have Dr. Mark Matthews who is a lecturer at Ulster University in Belfast, Northern Ireland and Professor Bill Vicenzino of the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Thanks and welcome to you both for joining us.
1: Thanks Erin. Thank you very much Erin.
0: So just before we start, I mean, today we want to talk mostly about a recent clinical trial that the two of you led. Um, but in order to sort of set the stage, I was wondering if we could start by just talking a little bit about like briefly what is patellofemoral pain and what has the evidence in the last few years told us about how, um, how the best way is to manage patellofemoral pain. Yep.
1: So um, I was listening to a podcast actually just recently and it kind of described patellofemoral pain as like the low back pain of the lower limb. Um, sort of something that we know we think we know quite a bit about but there's still so much that we don't quite know or don't quite understand so it's typically characterized by you know pain around the anterior aspect of the knee and it's aggravated by activities that load up the knee um, you know there's still so much around that we still don't know but diagnosis is by exclusion and it's based on the clinical presentation of where you go to from there So our knowledge around patellofemoral pain has really evolved over the, you know, the previous kind of 20 years as such, and particularly around what we think of the pathomechanics of patellofemoral pain. Um, We sort of looked originally at a lot of local factors around the knee, but, you know, evidence has evolved more to look at proximal mechanics and pathomechanics around the hip area, and particularly around the postulateral musculature, you know, what we might think of as like a motor performance type issue. But also there's evidence and there's a lot of research looking around discal foot mechanics and perhaps foot mobility issues. For example, we may think greater than normal mobility or something we may look at in clinic and think that's an overpronated foot, you know, whatever that may be defined as, or something we commonly call a flat foot You'd see in clinic. And then there's growing evidence around the influences that they may have upon the patellofemoral joint mechanics and sort of load and stress it puts through that area. So when it's come to looking more at the management of it, you know, research has shown a lot of the benefits and effects of treatment for patellofemoral pain. You know, particularly exercise therapy that's targeted towards the postelective hip musculature and/or local knee exercises. But then also distal to the knees, around the foot, looking at things like foot orthoses and the impact it can have on for the management of patellofemoral pain. But I guess to kind of move ahead with really what we want to look at with this study is, you know, when someone presents to you in clinic and we've diagnosed them with patellofemoral pain, well, you know, where do you start? and you know, what does the evidence suggest and what should you do in that first sort of early stages in the management? And that's what this trial really looked to focus on. So, you know, research has shown that, look, these treatments do work, but we still don't know which one is kind of best, but particularly there's now this push towards, you know, best practice guidelines of an individually tailored treatment towards the person. You know, and it's about matching, what is the right treatment for this person that's presenting in front of me, and who's gonna benefit most from what treatment? So. Research has shown that there are subgroups of people with patellofemoral pain that do respond really well, you know, to certain treatments. So there was a real need for us with this trial to try and tease out a person's presentation that may help us as a clinician. You know, which treatment should I give this person? Should I give them orthoses, something at the foot, or should I give them exercises targeted more towards the hip, you know, around that decision-making process? You know, that kind of makes clinical notions, right? It seems reasonable. If someone's, for example, got an overpronated foot and they present to us. You, you would think that looking at the is targeted locally to that as it can have some sort of benefit. So there was a real need for us to kind of run a trial that sort of looked to help identify, you know, what patient characteristics or what is it about the person that could help us as a clinician decide which treatment's best for them. You know, and that's where kind of the trial was targeted towards.
0: Great. And so just to go a little bit deeper into that, I believe that you actually started before you did your trial with conducting a systematic review to get a little bit more details about who might benefit from what treatment. Can you tell me a bit about that systematic review that you did?
1: Yep, so that was the the initial, at the start of my PhD, you know, this trial was my PhD that I did with Bill um, and and a large team of people. So we looked at the literature to see what does it say? What does the evidence suggest? What have people looked at and identified so far around patient characteristics? And this is what we would call a, a treatment effect modifier, you know, and it's something, it's a patient characteristic it's gonna predict a successful outcome from a specific treatment. So what we were looking and dealing with here are things known as treatment effect modifiers. So we did a review of the literature and you know, most of the studies that we found, there was 12 of them at the time, we'd taken a group of people with patellofemoral pain, given them just one treatment, and then looked at the outcome, who had a good response, who didn't. And then looked retrospectively at the measurements that took the baseline to see, okay, who benefited most? Was there something at baseline that suggested that that person responded best from that treatment? But there's a lot of issues around that. So, you know, when we looked at it, most of the trials actually had been done on foot orthoses, and that was one of the things, six of the 12 studies were all about foot orthotics, things around different foot mobility measurements and around the ankle range of motion. Um, but the major, well, actually one of the things that came up first through that was this measurement called midfoot width mobility. And what it is, it's the width. You take the midfoot, which is half of the foot length, the total length of the foot, and you measure the width of the foot. You measure it in a um, non-weight-bearing position. So the foot's just hanging off the edge of the bed. And then the person stands up, puts full body weight through it, and you take the width again. So midfoot-width mobility is this change in midfoot-width going from non-weight-bearing to weight-bearing. And in particular, two of the studies had found um, that those with greater than 11 millimeters change and midfoot width, i.e., you know, the foot splayed more as the weight went onto it, they seemed to have a really successful response to foot orthoses. So there's something about this measurement of midfoot width, and in particular, the sort of 11 millimeter cutoff could help predict those that responded to treatment or not with a foot orthoses. But like I was saying, the major issue with this was actually the study designs. Um, the studies lacked a comparator, they didn't compare to any other treatment, they just took one group of people gave them one treatment and then looked at an outcome, but they didn't try and compare between treatments. So this lack of outcome or lack of comparator was a major sort of study design flaw. So you can't say that these characteristics are associated specifically to just that treatment if you haven't compared it to something else. So the more we actually looked at this, we also found was that we actually, you know, hip exercises could this relate to hip exercises as well, you know, irrespective of perhaps mobility or some sort of other issues. So, What the evidence found so far was that foot orthoses seem to have a lot of research looking at it, and in particular, this midfoot width mobility. But the major concern was that there was no comparator, there was no sort of treatment that they compared to to see if it was effective or not. So that was kind of the major results from our systematic reviews, actually the study design, but also the identification of this potential midfoot width mobility as something that could predict or could be a treatment effect modifier.
0: Yeah, great. So Bill, do you have anything to add to that before we get into the trial itself?
2: I'd, I'd um, Mark's done a great job there. I'd just like to reiterate something he said uh, that we don't know if, if a treatment has a treatment effect unless we compare it to another treatment. That's the critical thing. Um, and uh, it's not an insignificant thing. All other studies have just looked at a group over time uh, without any comparison. So the treatment effect is the thing that we need to keep in mind.
0: Great. So then um, tell me a little bit about the actual um, clinical trial then
1: the clinical trial had two major aims that we looked at number one was we really wanted to see was like look does this midfoot width predict response or is it associated with response to orthoses? but i was saying you yeah, know the issues with previous studies is they had not used the comparator so we also wanted to use a you know an equally clinically relevant comparator because you know my background as a clinician and i moved into a phd from a clinical background so i really wanted this to be as clinically applicable as possible so look look, if we're going to use a comparator let's go with you know exercise therapy targeting the postulateral hip musculature uh, and then really focus on that one but at the same time our second aim of our study was like where do you start with somebody you know and that's why we picked hip exercises because some would say look you know in the early management you've got to start strengthening and targeting the postulateral hip muscles others may say no i want to give them a foot orthosis. so we wanted to address that question as well just where do you start and does midfoot width target so our study was um, a two-armed parallel randomized control trial. It was a superiority-designed trial. Um, we conducted it in Australia and also in Denmark in Ulburg um, with the help of Michael Rathliff governing things up through there, who's, you know, Michael is brilliant on these things. Um, our participants that we used were um, the classic, you know, as per the um, consensus guidelines, that participants were 18 to 40 years of age. And in insidious onset of knee pain, meaning that they've had this knee pain for more than six weeks. Um, that they've have you know greater than three out of ten pain on a numerical pain rating scale, um, and it's aggravated by activities that load up the patellofemoral joint. And what we classically think of as, you know walking up and down stairs, doing squats, running, jogging, and you know, sitting for a prolonged period of time, perhaps. So once we've done that, what they came in, participants were then stratified. So once they were screened, they were eligible. We then stratified them based on their midfoot width mobility. So someone else measured their midfoot width, uh, measured it in non-weight-bearing, measured it in weight-bearing. Those that had more, 11 millimeters or more change were classified as high mobility. And those with less than 11 millimeters change, we classified them as low mobility. After that, they were then randomized to whether they received foot or hip exercises. Now, I think it's really important here because the design of the study, we wanted to make this as rigorous and robust as possible, is that we did a lot of blinding here. So the participants, they themselves were blind to the objectives of the study. They didn't know what the aims of the study were. And they also didn't know about their stratification based on their midfoot width. So they were blind to that stuff. The physios who did the treatment were blind to the midfoot width stratification. They didn't know who was in what subgroups. And the outcome assessors were blind to both the stratification and also what treatment allocation there was. So there's a lot of blinding within the study. Our primary outcome was at 12 weeks, and uh, we used a seven point global rating of change scale. And it's been used a lot within research, but it was ranged from much better to much worse and we had primary outcome was at 12 weeks, but we also had a midpoint of six weeks as well. So we ended up with 218 participants who were stratified based on their midfoot width and then randomized to treatment. Of those 218, 49 were defined as high and 169 were defined as low. Now based on those numbers, you know, 218, is, that actually makes it the largest randomized controlled trial ever done on femoral pain to date. And the previous one was Nat Collins' study, which was brilliant and laid the foundation for this sort of work. So we in effect had 109 people got randomized to foot and 109 got randomized to hip exercises. And then within that, we had our subgroups as well. So it's kind of what we call a two by two design. Now the hip exercises was 12 sessions over four weeks. And what's crucial to highlight here was these sessions were done supervised with the physiotherapist that came into the clinic for every single session. And that way, we could make sure that they did the exercises with suitable resistance uh, and suitable load, or suitable uh, um, effort being put in. Um, so they saw the, week, the physio three times a week for four weeks. Uh, conversely, the foot ex- the foot orthoses were prefabricated ones, ones that you just get off the shelf. Um, and they came in. The, the participants came in for six sessions over six weeks, and the foot orthoses were prescribed purely on comfort basis. To make sure that they were comfortable and the physio could make small adjustments to the orthosis as and need to to make the, the orthosis more comfortable for them so actually that was that was the design of the study so we, we followed up with every person at 12 weeks uh sorry 6 and 12 weeks and then you know to see what their outcomes were so with regards to adherence because i know that can be a big problem when you've got home-based exercises and that's why we did the supervised sessions because if you've got home-based we don't know if they've done the exercises properly or if they've done them to sufficient. So, the sessions, each one was about 20 to 25 minutes. So we made sure that you could fit it within a typical clinical session. So with regards to adherence, we actually had a really high adherence with both treatments. With the hip exercises, you know, on average, they attended 10 out of the 12 sessions. So about 84% adherence with the hip exercise. And with the foot they attended on average five and a half sessions out of the six. So about 92%. So we know that the treatments were effective. They've been evidence-based. They've been used well we know that the participants had really good adherence with them and did them as well. So, the, the crux of this, the results. So, to go quickly recap, the aims was, you know, does midfoot width, or is there an association between foot mobility in response to foot orthoses? Um, what our study found was actually that there was no evidence of association between midfoot width mobility and treatment outcome. You know, we had an interaction effective, of, a peak was 0.19. So what we found was that high midfoot width mobility is not related to a successful outcome with prefabricated foot orthoses compared to hip exercises or exercise therapy targeted at the postulateral um, musculature. So against a good comparator, we found that this mid-foot width just didn't hold true. When it comes to the second aim of our study, which was looking at, you know, in the early management, where do I start? Do I give hip exercises or foot orthoses? And we're looking at that irrespective of, of foot mobility. You know, where do you start? Which is best, hip or foot orthoses? What our study found was we actually found no difference in success rate between foot orthoses and hip exercises. We had a 48% success rate with foot orthoses and a 50% success rate with hip exercises. What I should say is our success rate was defined as the rating of better or much better on our seven point scale. So. We found that there's actually no difference in outcome between foot or hip exercises as well. Okay, so great. So across the board, two there's no association with mobility, and there's no difference between early management with foot or hip uh, exercises.
0: Okay, Bill, I might pull you in now a little bit and talk a bit about how we integrate the findings of these studies into what we already know.
2: Cool. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting finding. It's one that uh, obviously we weren't anticipating. In some ways, it's frustrating to the clinician who believes quite fundamentally that we can actually identify people for specific treatments. I think all physios will tell you that they'll know how to choose selectively. And yet here we have a study which is pretty well designed, had good lead-up work to it. The, the individual interventions were effective in other studies. Uh, and the measure that we used was one that we'd shown before in, in uh, uh, um, single case uh, designs uh, to be uh, good at predicting an outcome. Um, so here we're left with well, you can't predict the outcome and, and they're both similar. So where does that leave us? So I guess we get back to shared decision making with the client. There are, there are factors that would lead a, a clinician and a patient to feel an orthosis is more effective. You know, you need to have shoes and be able to modify your footwear for orthosis. Not everyone, not all climates allow that. Um, on the other hand, not everyone likes to do exercise or wants to do exercise. You know, a quick fix might be an orthosis. And the important thing to, to understand is Natalie Collins' um, uh, randomized trial. It also showed that there wasn't really much difference m- between McConnell exercises, McConnell program, and these same uh, foot orthoses at twelve at twelve weeks. Um, and so. You know, we can be pretty confident that in the short term or midterm, 12 weeks, whatever you want to term that, that you could have a decent shot at using either intervention. One thing we do know is that in the longer term, both interventions are better than either individually. So for long term out, come out at six, 12 months, uh, there is a Nat study that shows the combination of effect is better than a placebo. So that's something that we uh, we know. Um, So I guess in a nutshell, um, we we weren't able to show that our measure of a foot, uh, um, you know, foot mobility didn't predict uh, a treatment outcome with a over hip exercises. We also used other foot mobility measures and and we also looked at hip uh, weakness measures and hip range of motion measures and none of them predict the outcome for either treatment beyond the other one. And that, those studies are about to come out in moderation. We've done postdoc moderator and mediator analyses on these. So it is a, it is a sobering thought for the clinician that believes that um, you can predict, um, I guess, uh, you know, maybe the RCT, uh, as, a, as rigorously designed as we made it, is not uh, complex enough. It's not intricate enough to tease out those clinical questions that uh, we all uh, so dearly want to um, uh, to find and, and have yeah. in hand.
0: So so, what does the future hold for for both of you after after the study? Where where do we where do we go next with patellofemoral pain management?
2: There's increasing uh, knowledge that the psycho uh, the psychological and social aspects in some subgroups, um, and there are some some patients that have more centralised uh, changes in the nervous system, and they may need different approaches. So I think. Um, we need to understand the condition better. Let's listen more to the patients and possibly the clinicians that are, are seeing these more and more.
1: It's, it's really interesting. And I guess it's from a, a clinician background. That's the whole reason I got into this PhD and worked with Bill on this project was I couldn't understand who I should give photo authorities to, you know, some respond to something. So, and, you know, the more I got into the research, it was really interesting to think that, you know, the postulateral, the targeting exercise therapy proximal would have more of a direct effect on the patellofemoral joint, if we're thinking that from a pathomechanical point of view, if there's some sort of maltracking, I would stress that things that affect the proximal at the hip will have more of a better direct effect. But conversely, you know, there's this proposed pathomechanics at the foot, which has an indirect effect to the hip. You know, what the study has shown is that it kind of really doesn't matter where you start with the treatment, you're gonna have some sort of effect. It perhaps needs to go back and have a different look at the mechanisms. You know, perhaps there's a perhaps there's a shared mechanism between the two. Perhaps our understanding of the biomechanics around it needs to be stretched a bit more you know, and to look at things a little bit more differently. Perhaps sort of understanding if we can get a better idea on the shared mechanism effect, perhaps we can start to develop better sort of treatment algorithms and treatment approaches. You know, there's a lot of good stuff that's come out from Liam McLaughlin and his team looking at sort of um, the non-physical factors and the sort of psychosocial issues you know and a lot of that non-physical aspect of femoral pain that we're starting to tap into i think that's why people have started to, you know it's been called the low back pain of patella of the lower limb is that also that real non-physical stuff and you know liam's got some great work that's come out from all of that sort of thing so there's also that sort of non-physical stuff to consider there's the mechanism stuff but i think lastly and it's always good to remember is that we took a single measurement of the foot, you know, we just took midfoot width as a standalone measurement and did this sort of dichotomies. Perhaps that there's other ways that we can look at foot mobility. There may be other measurements that can capture more motion around the foot. And perhaps it's a cluster of measurements that may indicate those that have foot orthoses. We know that some respond, but perhaps we just didn't capture it best with this midfoot width measurement. So I think there's that third approach to don't dismiss midfoot width as like, has no relationship. It may do if it works in the cluster or something else.
0: Now, uh, little birdie may have told me that there might be a place where the listener can go if they want more information. Bill, I think you mentioned there might be a something going on at La Trobe. If listeners are interested in a bit longer discussion.
2: We are going to hold a webinar and we'll uh, publicize it widely through Twitter and and link BJSM in.
0: Well, thank you both for your time today. I really appreciated you sharing your work. Um, Great study. uh, And thank you, the listener, for joining us. And we hope that you have a physically active day.